Let's do it. Welcome back to episode three. Welcome, welcome. You're just ending your shift and we're starting ours. It's called yeah, the Second yeah. Shift Podcast. We're just still working on. on our uh, on our catchphrase. Yeah, I mean, we got time. It's only episode three. Yes. Anyway, today, today we're talking about Lord of the Rings. And Jimmy just got Jimmy just finished listening to the audiobook. Thank you, Audible, mm-hmm. if you want to sponsor us. That'd be great. Yes, Audible, please. <laughs> uh, he just finished listening to the audiobook, and um, I just, well, I've watched the movie several times, but I just rewatched it for, for this episode. And you watched it for the first time, right? Yeah, so, excuse me, me starting the books was my first ever experience in Middle Earth. Like, I started out with The Hobbit, then went through all three uh, Lord of the Rings books. So that was my first ever experience with it. And then seeing the movie, that was my first time seeing the movie. So actually being able to see all those, like, sweeping landscapes in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. I understand why Dwight wants to vacation there. Yeah, yeah. It really is amazing how they were able to shoot all that on, on location, or at least mm-hmm. 90% of it. I mean, the scene where they're riding down the river after they hang out with Galandriel mm-hmm. and head towards Gondor is beautiful like i would love to do some white water rafting down that bad boy oh for sure China see i just love how I, I love that the movies were all filmed consecutively too mm-hmm. so yeah. it's like you don't have to deal with the game of thrones bullshit where a 12 year old girl is 19 in real life and you're right. like wait this doesn't kind of make sense right Absolutely. Yeah. they were able to actually kind of keep that is chronology a word i was trying to think of this earlier chronologically Chronologically, I, th- I thought there would maybe be a different word. Yeah, so there's a couple of O's and L's in there. Yeah, um, but it, it, it kept its flow. Everyone looks the same, so the continuity is great. Right. Yeah, I mean, if you 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 wouldn't watch all three, right? Or did you watch the first I, one? I've only watched the first one okay, so far. Right. So we'll, yeah, we'll get to the second and third one as we go along these these two uh, to see like really how close did they shoot them and how consecutive was it because it really is a, a great feat. To have three massive movies, and uh, you know they're spread out across three years, mm-hmm. it's it's interesting because you know like if you take any of your trilogies from from any of your most popular trilogies, you go Star Wars seventy seven eighty eighty three, you have Indiana Jones technically that's a that's four, but that the fourth one didn't come out two thousand eight, but that one started in nineteen seventy eight or not? Uh, I think it's oh boy, no, sometime back then. Anyway. Several year intervals, right? I think it's a great feat to be able to do it in such consecutive order, especially mm-hmm. with the names that they had in there. I mean, Ian McKellen, um, Christopher Lee, obviously, um, kind of the younger actors weren't as popular. Maybe their schedules weren't as busy yet. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's incredible. I mean, even if, if you have someone... If you have a, a, an executive that's that watches the first movie and then they're like, "Ooh, I really like that Sean Astin kid. Let me get him for like four or five movies in 2002, mm-hmm. 2003." Yep. Then you pull him away from this. You know what I mean? So it's like exactly. it's just impressive that they were able to do it that quick and um, like you said, keep people at the same age as if it was just continuing the story. So I feel like another good series of keeping kind of like that age continuity is Harry Potter. Yeah. That they all from casting it to actually filming it in the right amount of time, everyone looks the age that they're supposed to be. So yeah. it, Absolutely. it definitely helps being able to compare the books to the movies and you don't have this big like question mark on, why does this person look a lot different than how I envisioned it? Right. Yeah, I felt that way with the Percy Jackson movies. 
I don't know if you read those books. No, I never got into those ones. I'm, I'm a big fan of Greek mythology, and uh, they're supposed to be a lot younger. But mm-hmm. Alexandra Daddario is the girl in it, and uh, she is fantastic. She she's she's pretty nice. She's superb. Very well endowed. Anyway, yeah. Have you actually have you seen uh, True Detective? I have not. Season one. Um, her and Woody, Woody Harrelson have a little fling. What lucky man? Yeah, and I think you'd be. I, well, if I do remember correctly, you see pretty much everything. Does he have Twinkies with him? <laughs> no, but it's that that season is one of the best seasons of TV you'll ever see. It's him and uh, Matthew McConaughey okay. as, as detectives in Louisiana. It's fucking amazing. Interesting. Really good twists. Uh, it's like a it's like a six part Criminal Minds episode with McConaughey and Harrelson going back and forth. It's just oh yeah, it's fantastic. Okay. Yeah, it's probably on HBO. Okay. Anyway, so. My question for you is, you know, after re- after listening to the book and now watching the first movie, fill in the blanks. Uh, tell me what you liked, what you didn't like, what's the difference, um, you know, what should they have added, what should they have taken out. Um, so, at, at least for me, I, I felt like the first book to the first movie were pretty much dead on. Mm-hmm. I, I, I know I keep comparing it to a lot of things, but like the Game of Thrones first season to the first book, that was pretty much dead on. There were a couple of omissions... But obviously that's used to just keep continuity going, keep it interesting. Right. So obviously that happened with this movie, but the plot itself, it was a very straightforward plot. And the book and the movie are actually both able to follow that same line and keep it pretty pretty similar to each other. Mm-hmm. That There were some differences. I mean, going back to the time. So to me, I feel like this is the biggest difference between the book and the movie. So... In the beginning, um, everyone's surrounded for um, Bilbo's 11th 11th birthday. (laughs) Thought that was great that they said 11. That's besides the point. So they're all there for his birthday, Mm -hmm. and his birthday that night is when he goes on his adventure. Right. So in the movie, it fast-forwards to where we maybe think it's I don't know, maybe a couple months to a year. And then uh, Gandalf comes back, tells Frodo that he's got to go, and that's when Frodo starts his journey. Mm-hmm. But in the books, though, it's a 17-year difference. Wow. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's it like... It makes sense, but, but at the end... Uh, so... Bilbo gives up the ring and then goes on his journey? Yeah, Bilbo so gives up the ring, he goes to aged, Rivendell. He would have aged 17 years at at 111 years old. So then he well, would have been... I mean, so the crazy. thing is, though, um, the amount that he aged in that year or so that was in the movie is pretty much the amount that he aged through those 17 years. Okay. That was one thing that they kept pretty much the same, but Got yeah, it. a period of 17 years. And I mean, I understand why the movies made it a year rather than 17, so you didn't have to get a complete new cast of actors. Mm-hmm. But, I don't know. I, I I don't think it really makes a difference. It's just going back onto the what the character should look like. Should be a lot older. Like, Bilbo shouldn't still kind of look like a preteen. Mm-hmm. I mean, no offense to Elijah Wood, but he is a very, very big baby face. <laughs> I mean, same with Sean Astin at that time, too. Got those yeah. big round cheeks, no facial hair. I agree. I agree. 
So that it was a seventeen. Okay, I mean, yeah, I feel like that doesn't really. If he, if the book doesn't go into too much detail about what he was doing during those during those years, like if it didn't yeah. impact the story that much, I feel like you could leave that out. I, I mean, th- those seventeen years, he's just still living in Hobbiton, just doing what he does. Because mm-hmm. I mean, he got a uh, Bilbo's house, so obviously there's tending to do. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm sure he was able to keep busy for seventeen years. Yeah. Hobbits don't do anything. Yeah, those hobbits just like to see things grow. I'm sure they were mm-hmm. having a grand old garden party. Exactly. Um, so yeah, that, that I feel like could have been quite possibly one of the biggest differences. Mm-hmm. I mean, another big difference was kind of in the middle of the book, they skipped, or not in the book, in the movie, they kind of just cut out like four and a half chapters. Okay. So I'll, I'll just go into that one a little bit. So yeah, a total of, um, four chapters and a part of the fifth were just completely missing from the screenplay. Uh, those chapters were A Shortcut to Mushrooms, A Conspiracy Unmasked, The Old Forest, In the House of Tom Bombadil, and Fog on the Barrows Downs. Okay. So th- those ones, I mean, I'm pretty sure Fog on the Barrow Downs, that one was the partially included chapter, but the other four are just completely gone. Okay. So these chapters, they relate on um, on the adventures that the Hobbits took on their journey through the woods and the fields of East Farthing to their eventual return to the um, to the main road near the village of Bree. So it's like right after they're, um, they're leaving Hobbiton on their way, it's like takes place in that little period. Okay. So within these chapters, it includes a dinner at the house of Farmer Maggot, which reveals the conspiracy of the Hobbits to prevent Frodo from leaving his town. Um, it's got an adventure in the old forest, which includes their encounter with Old Man Willow. It's got a brief stay with Tom Bombadil and Goldberry, uh, and their capture by the Barrow White, and their subsequent rescue by Tom Bombadil. Um, but really, all of these chapters are pretty much fanciful. Um, the inclusion in the screenplay kind of really wasn't necessary. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were talking about it earlier. It pretty much would have just added an hour to the movie. Right. That really wouldn't advance it too much. Yeah. I so feel it's like, like, yeah, and I feel like, um, you know, if you're a movie executive, the closest you can make it to three hours, mm-hmm. you know, um, for money making purposes, for attention span purposes, um, and even three hours, put, you know, like for, for end games purposes, mm-hmm. um, you know, that even three hours is as close you can make it to having like the intervals between when they could shoot them or um, when they could show them at a movie theater because mm-hmm. you want to maximize how many times you could show it. So I, I think the closest to three hours is probably best. If you added those in there, probably would have made it a nice, I don't know, maybe it's close to a lot closer to four. And, well, there already uh, is the four-hour extended cut. So Yeah, yeah, that's true. But, but see, so you, you don't think that they, they didn't need to do that. There was just kind of a, just additional. Yeah, I mean, them not including that in the movie, I mean, it did change one slight thing. Um, because they weren't captured by the Barrow White in the movie. Uh, you remember when they're... Um, uh, fucking... Uh, oh, when um, Aragorn got them all and he gave them all the swords? Mm-hmm. So, in the book... They got the weapons when um, Tom Bombadil actually came to kind of rescue them from the Barrow White. So the Barrow White actually had this one sword 
um, I, I forget what the metal was, but it was a special sword that when they all got surrounded by the dudes riding, uh, the black horses wearing all black, mm-hmm. when they all got surrounded, that knife was actually able to kill them. Interesting. So that that's like the only thing that wasn't really played out in the movies because they couldn't show that Barrow White scene. So rather than them all getting the weapons from that part of the movie or from the story, you just get Aragon giving them four Hobbit-sized blades that he just so casually had. Yeah, I was, I was thinking that too. But I mean, it, it doesn't really affect it too much. It's just kind of oh, that's kind of strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't think I didn't. It wasn't I wasn't hung up on it, but I was just like, huh. Got a lot. Where did he get those swords from? How is he carrying mm-hmm. those? The horse? Does he have it on the back of the horse, just ready for them? I don't know. Yeah. So then, another kind of difference, but not really that kind of game changing. Um, that scene also, when Frodo gets stabbed by the Witch King with the Morgul knife. Yep. Um, in the movie, it kind of like shuts him down completely. It, it it's very dramatic. He's almost crippled with the pain, and he's pretty much on the verge of death. Yep. Whereas in the book, he kind of gets stabbed. He blacks out, but then wakes back up feeling a bit weak. But, I mean, he's still able to talk. He's still joking around, trying to lighten the mood. Mm-hmm. And then that's when the elves come in and start to work on him. Okay. So now, a- a- another difference when um they're getting rid of the Nazgul, the black dudes. Well, not mm-hmm. black dudes. The dudes wearing black. Don't hate me. Um, when he's kind of fighting him with the sword and the torch. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, the, the ring wraiths. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the ring wraiths. So, in the books, because he has that special knife, that they're all scared of him. He, I think he, like, kills one and then the rest of them flee. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Frodo was uh, muttering the word Elbereth, which is a high elf word. I, I don't know what it means, but the Nazgul also hated it, so they started to fear Frodo rather than really try to want to kill him. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, because Frodo's sword was the one that was deadly to them, he said that word, it just drove him off. And then they, they didn't really return. Gotcha. Okay. Um, another difference um, in the in the movie, it was Arwen and not Glorenfeld who came to the rescue of Strider and the rest of the hobbits. Okay. Uh, just, just a different person, but doesn't really do anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, the the sword Narsil, the one um, Isindil had in the beginning that chopped off Sauron's fingers. Yep. How it's like broken up into six pieces. Um, it, in the book, it's only broken up into two pieces, and um, Strider just constantly carries it around. Okay. Um. Uh, well, I, I guess since you call him Strider all the time, or would you call him Aragon too? So, going off really only the first movie that they've called him Strider more so than anything because the only real interaction they've had with other like higher up people is that council. Okay. So it's pretty much just a bunch of kids walking around with this dude and they knew him as Strider. 
So, okay. Okay. I mean, yeah, Aragorn Strider, same guy. Um, Aragorn kind of yeah. makes me think of um, the spider from Harry Potter. Oh yeah, Aragog. <laughs> it's kind of crazy how alike a lot of these names are. Oh yeah, there's so many. Ref- oh my god, I I wrote a couple things down about what I thought. You know, like what what mm-hmm. J.K. Rowling took from this, and uh, okay, um, you know, obviously George R. R. Martin too. It's yep. almost like uh, every fantasy writer has to have a fucking initial in front of their their last name. You know, well, especially Lord of the Rings though. That this was such a trailblazing thing for the whole fantasy genre. Mm-hmm. So every other fantasy genre out there's gotta reference this somehow. Oh yeah, yeah. It would be doing a disservice to it if it wasn't. So. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's funny. It's like everybody's like, "Oh, how does J.K. Rowling come up with this shit?" You know, it's like, "Oh, well, she took a lot of things from this. I mean, a lot of tropes and a lot of um, themes, mm-hmm. even some kind of even some level of mythology and and uh, and um, character development as well." So, um, but yeah, I it really is. It's really I'm still, I'm still kind of in awe that they were able to get it done, and then have all the praise that they got for it too you mm-hmm. know what i mean like obviously people were fans of the lord of the rings books and they've been reading them since you know early early 20th century mm-hmm. but um to actually see it played out on screen and have you know them do such a good job with divvying the script up amongst three movies is really impressive like i i know that they when they originally went to the producer or the executive of the of miramax which is the mm-hmm. company that gave them the money they were like this is three movies so figure yeah. it out <laughs> and they're like oh yeah you're right we're gonna have to rewrite, rewrite this thing so um hats off to them I, I really i really think it's a great feat well put your hat back on because apparently the new lord of the rings show that amazon's doing or whatever it's supposed to be shit really it's like they, they only purchased like a part of middle earth who purchased a part of middle earth amazon prime oh like that they, they only like bought the rights to two characters they only brought two plots of land in the metaverse, not I, the entire thing. Yeah. So it's like they got to make sake. up a whole bunch of characters around these two guys and kind of make up the story as it goes along. So I feel like it's going to kind of go the Game of Thrones route. Yeah, I could see that. It's like it's like uh, it's having a free trial for like mm-hmm. Minecraft or something like that. You can only go to certain certain spots of the world. Yeah. Fucking Amazon cheaping out. Come on, Bezos. Take some of that rocket money and put it towards Game of Thrones. Fucking Lord of the Rings, you, you punts. I guess um, uh, Wheel of Time's not doing too great for him. Yeah, really. Um, yeah, what else from your side, do you think? Uh, well, uh, let, let's talk about uh, the Gandalf and Saruman meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that one was kind of a bit different as well. Mm-hmm. Um. As we know, when um, when Gandalf and uh, Frodo split from Hobbiton, Gandalf says, hey, I gotta go somewhere, then I'll meet you in Bree. Yep. Well, the only real journey that we see Gandalf take is the one to, um, I, I think... To Saruman. Yeah. Uh, where, where was he at? I found the name of it earlier, but I forget the name. Where his castle was? Yeah. Uh... Obviously, it was on, well, when they started to dig up the trees and dig into the ground, wherever, yeah. the, wherever the orcs were hibernating underneath. 
Right. Yeah, well, wh- where it is is irrelevant. Okay. Uh, before he gets to actually seeing and talking to Saruman, um, it first, well, we only see him go to Minas Tirith. Um, in the book, though, the journey he goes primarily to find and capture Gollum. Mm-hmm. Um, quest in which Aragorn aided him, actually. So because of, like, the 17-year difference, kind of, Aragorn was able to help him on this and then still meet the kids in Bree. Okay. Because there's actually that time difference, but... But they didn't it, actually capture Gollum because Gollum was captured by the... Exactly. By Mordor. And he was put on the, the racks and shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that was probably a good idea for them to do so that he wouldn't rat out who stole the ring from him in the first mm-hmm. place. Okay. That's yeah. But they didn't get that done. So by the time that that was incomplete, he was already captured by Mordor, and mm-hmm. they were already on their way back to... Or, or um, Aragorn was back on his way back to Bree. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then kind of when Gollum got captured, um, Gant, the, so the goal for getting um, Gollum was so he can kind of interpret the ring of what's going on. Okay. Um, But when Gollum got captured by Mordor and uh, Sauron and all those dudes, uh, Gandalf kind of remembered that the words of the ring, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure Saruman could read it. Like he knew the High Elvish that could understand it. Mm-hmm. So instead of trying to go to Gollum, he tried to get the scroll of Isildur, which had kind of like the inscription of the ring on it. So he could give that to uh, Saruman to be able to read. Okay. Um, so after Gandalf forsook for the uh, the quest and turned toward White City, Aragorn found Gollum and bestowed him into the uh, the keeping of the Wood Elves. So rather than him staying with. Um, Sauron in Mordor the entire time he actually gets out mm-hmm. and then Aragorn gives him to the Wood Elves okay. to kind of like hold him off for a bit to keep him just st- st- safe first and foremost keep him in one spot and kind of interrogate him on what's going on Yep. Um, but that's when Gandalf learned kind of like the chronological order of who had the ring how um Deagle, who was, like I, I guess, uh, Gollum's dad, or Smeagol, as he is also known, mm-hmm. um, he found it after Isildur, like, I guess, lost the ring, or he died and it fell. Well, in the movie, it's it falling into the um, the bottom of the river. Yeah. So I, there wasn't really any clarification on whether that really happened, and I don't remember kind of how that went. But, yeah, so... Gollum ended up getting the ring, so that's when um, Bilbo found it in a cave. Which so that's all the the Hobbit story, that entire thing of the adventure that Bilbo goes on with Gandalf and um, all the other guys, to where Bilbo actually finds the ring, Gollum, my precious, and all the riddles and shit. Mm-hmm. That's all in the Hobbit, but that that's kind of like summarized in that little flashback in the movie. Um, right. So. Bilbo ends up getting the ring um, after Gollum loses it. And then, yeah, he holds on to it. He's able to stay nice and young. Oh, yeah. But... Then how uh, old is um, how old is Frodo, then, if uh, if he's 111? So... Does it say in the book at all? Um, I, I think... I, mid... Or 40... No. Um, I think he's like 35. Really? Holy crap. 
because it's like Gandalf came back on like 17 days exactly after, uh, or 17 years exactly after Bilbo left. Okay. So it was like exactly 17 years after. So I'm, I, I'm pretty sure it, it was like 35 or something like that. Okay. I could see that. Yeah. And they're kind of like Hobbit, like whimsy. They're just kind mm-hmm. of, they seem like they're really just like 18 or 20, 24. Yeah. Um, just real young and kind of, well, they never obviously left the Hobbit. So it's kind of like wherever they were going, they were going into a, mm-hmm. a totally new realm. So, okay. yeah. But th- this entire journey of looking for the scroll, getting the golem, all, all the, um, the interrogations, that, that took like nine years. Mm-hmm. So that, that kind of took up the bulk of that 17. So kind of, kind of irrelevant going it to put it in the movie since that 17 years is just one year Got it. there's no way gandalf could have done all that in a year no well, leave it to the wizard <laughs> well yeah true um so then gandalf gets to where saruman is and then in the movie gandalf like openly says hey a hobbit and hobbiton has it or a hobbiton in the shire mm-hmm. but in the book gandalf never revealed that actually Gandalf is kind of just like prancing around who actually has it, saying, oh, there's someone that has it. It is found. must be protected. But Saruman actually has to deduce where it is based off just the various sources of information that Gandalf's saying. Yeah. But he's never really able to find out where it is. Gotcha. And, or and who has it. In the book, at this point, is Saruman um, a trusted source? Or is he like, is he someone that, is Gandalf not telling him on purpose because he knows that, if he got hold of the ring, he would have been. He would have used it for evil purposes. I'm pretty sure Gandalf like kind of got the shadiness. Yeah. Plus, he really cared for uh, Bilbo and Frodo. Yeah. Yep. I mean, that, well, not a lot of people knew hobbits. It's like hobbits were kind of a very unknown creature in mm-hmm. those times, and a lot of people are surprised to see hobbits. But it's like Gandalf was really close with them and really genuinely cared for him. So. I think because he just didn't want to betray them is why he didn't say anything. Yep. Plus, I think he had an inkling that, oh, shit, Saruman just might want the ring for himself. He might want the power. Yeah, and I think that that's, like, one of the biggest themes of the whole, well, obviously for the movie, right? It's, like, power corrupts, and, Mm -hmm. you know, you could have the best intentions, but once you receive that power and once you are bestowed that, it's Mm -hmm. it actually will turn your... It will turn your, you know, um, well-intended purposes into mostly evil. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, you can see when when Frodo tries to offer it to Gandalf, Gandalf's like, I can't be tempted. Mm-hmm. And then when Galandro um, is tempted to take it, she says, oh, I've passed the test. Because, you know, if she, being such a powerful elf, if she mm-hmm. was able to take it, take it, she would have basically turned into Sauron herself. Like... Yeah. She would have essentially been the, the heir to that because, you know, power corrupts as soon as you are are bestowed it in this movie. Like, mm-hmm. as soon as you have that ring, um, with that power, uh, it, it really does, it really does hit home the fact that, like, I think that the hobbits are kind of like this really unique species where, like, you know, obviously... Bilbo can hold on to this thing for X amount of years and him being kind of really well, um, 
kind-hearted and uh you know kind of like a, not necessarily weak but the hobbits are really small like they don't have any magical powers right mm-hmm. just having a lot them of instinct pro- yeah having them protect it having them be the, the like the the holders of it for that long that that amount of time is probably the smartest move mm-hmm. you know what i mean like it, it makes perfect sense that someone so small and so innocent and powerless should hold the most powerful object because it wouldn't really corrupt them it wouldn't i mean it, there would be their, their destruction would be minimal if they mm-hmm. was to corrupt them so I, I feel like it's definitely a mix of that and then just the inherent nature of hobbits Hob- hobbits were kind of like instinctually never left hobbiton yep it was like before um bilbo went on his I, I think they said he was like the first hobbit to actually go on an adventure or was like something in a thousand years that a hobbit's gone on an adventure mm-hmm. so it's like they don't leave hobbiton they don't leave the shire right yeah and in the beginning of the movie like uh uh frodo's doing a little bit of a dialogue mm-hmm. and he's like oh um hobbiton and the shire we love peace we like peace and quiet like this is our like you said that's our nature is to be peaceful and be calm and and stay within your roots and watch things grow so yeah i mean i think to bestow something so powerful on someone so innocent with really good intentions is the best move and obviously you know you you couldn't let you couldn't give them the ring forever because obviously it was awakening Mm -hmm. you know it was speaking to its its master it was awakening evil forces so eventually they would have been found out but i think you know it's it's why it's such an interesting story it's like you have to give the most the most the kind of the biggest underdog the biggest feat because yeah you know they're not going to be tempted by it they're just going to protect it they're going to have the best intentions for it mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's a lot of oh hey don't don't tr- or uh, don't under assume the uh the small dude right they're trying to say everyone has a voice everyone has a purpose right Right. It's like, uh, you know, it's uh, don't sleep on those short guys. Mm-hmm. You know? Size doesn't matter. You hear that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not too short, though. But uh, you're not short either, so what are we talking about? You're like, what, 5'9"? 5'10"? 5'10 and a quarter. Ooh, a quarter. I fucking hate it. Well, you want it's to like, be 5'11"? I, I can't even. I can't even be 5'11". Mm-hmm. Say I'm six foot. What? Really? No way, she's not that tall. Really? Who? Sam? Oh, no. She's 5'4". I, oh. I said, I'm not even 5'11", so I can't even say I'm 6'. Oh, I thought you said Sam is 6'. No. I was like, what Jesus. the hell does she just grow in the last yeah, year? Yeah, she had a fucking growth spurt. Yeah. She's now trying out to be, uh, for the WNPA. Christ's sake. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, the corrupting, it's a corrupting influence Mm-hmm. of power right it's like it's as soon as you have that ability no matter how good your intentions may be at first once you have that power it'll corrupt and uh keeping it out of the most popular the most powerful people's hands in the in the story is it's such a it's such a move um, so now wasn't um wasn't the whole story supposed to be kind of based loosely off world war Two? am i tripping on that do you do you, you mean like the the ring represents the nuclear bomb? Just kind of like the principles, like oh, you don't give the scariest people all the power in the world because it'll truly corrupt them. Like, 
Um, like more like a Hitler or Mussolini kind of kind of deal. Like, oh, Hitler has the ring, so what does he do with it? Kill six million people. Yeah, I think that could be, and I think it also has, uh, you know, a kind of a counterpoint to that because technically all the character, the main characters are white, but they're actually from different races because. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? The Hobbit, you have the humans, you have the elves, you have the, the dwarves. dwarves. <laughs> mm-hmm. So. It's really about, you know, if you were to compare it to Hitler's kind of one race theory, right? One way, one race to rule them all in a way. Mm-hmm. They're fighting that with the combination of five different races and five different mm-hmm. cultures and backgrounds. So it's, it's, it may be a, a response to that in a way. But I do think yeah. like if you were, if you were to compare the bomb to the ring, one bomb to rule them all, you know what I mean? Think about it like that. Um, Full way drop too. Right, right. So maybe there's another ring somewhere. Maybe that's what the prequel show is going to be about. Maybe. Eh. No way. <laughs> uh, but yeah, think about it like this: like, um, you know, the bomb is is awakening his master. Like it's 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 been lost for a long time, and there's and it's it's calling out to its original creator um, to come to come corrupt it and so it's like you know the minions will find the most powerful individual and cling on to them and uh you know the minions could be seen as maybe like the japanese or the italians uh clinging on to the germans something along those lines yeah um, maybe you know because they you know say you have the bomb and you have you have the ultimate power um, those those with the same ideologies would would latch onto that power. So it's like it's the same it's the same idea of the ring representing uh, a corruption of power, right? Yeah. Well, also, I you can kind of go off of like how there's one ring to rule them all, and then there's the umpteen other rings that are given to the lesser people, right? Kind of like, oh, hey, you kind of matter, but you're not the most important. Yeah, like the kings, the 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 ring race, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I also think that for their situation, they they're feeding off of, and Gollum too. They're they're feeding off of the power that the ring gave them. Oh yeah, and you could almost say that as an allegory or a metaphor for addiction. You know what I mean? It could be, it could be that you know, being, utilizing something that that is so powerful and so impactful for such a long time, it degrades them. It destroyed mm-hmm. Gollum. It turned him into like a frog-like creature. It destroyed mm-hmm. those kings and turned them into not alive, not dead, essentially. Just masses, almost yeah. dementors. I, exa- I was exa- best about to say that. That's one of the biggest, in my opinion, biggest influences on Harry Potter, right? Yeah. They, they look the same. They almost kind of move the same. Um, they kind of have the same purpose. They're feeding off of happiness, mm-hmm. right? And uh, but yeah, like think about like an, an addiction. Like it's destroying them from the outside in. Yeah, definitely an addiction um, type. And I mean, you saw when uh, Bobo was just around the ring again after such a long amount of time. He goes crazy. Yeah, that's that that fucking CGI comes out. So now, actually, though, that that's another difference between the uh, the book and the movie. The movie, it it kind of like presents itself as. That actually happens, mm-hmm. 
Whereas in the book, it's almost kind of like, oh, the ring made you see it. Like the ring can kind of see what he's feeling inside, but not what actually physically comes out. Okay. Interesting. Um, I also think that the ring, um, kind of, well, it's obviously the story is timeless, right? Like you can, you can attribute it to today's day and age. And I think one of the, oh, yeah. one of the biggest things about the, the themes of it are kind of like technology, right? Like the power of technology can corrupt someone with the best intentions. It mm-hmm. can corrupt someone with that, with that power of, you know, sure, it's a good thing to connect people across the world, but it is a, is it a good thing for technology to invade your privacy? Is it a good thing mm-hmm. for it to have you completely reliant on it? Um, you know, and, uh, and, and over time, like, obviously, our, the technology is growing at an exponential rate. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's interesting, it would be interesting to see you know, how this story is, is perceived 20, 30 years from now, if it's still, if it's, I don't know if it's taught in schools per se, um, definitely not Christian schools, but it's probably banned in school. Yeah. But, um, it's, it's a timeless story. It's a, it's, well, a, I mean, Hey, it, it's already almost 20 years old or uh, no, wow. It's over 20. It's almost 70 years old. Right. Right. So when did it like, come out? 1940, um, 80, 30. Uh, no, the Hobbit, came out I'm pretty sure late 40s let me just look this up real quick uh, yeah oh the Hobbit actually came out in 1937 mm-hmm. and then so the Hobbit wasn't necessarily about World War Two. the Hobbit no <laughs> but then um, yeah the Lord of the Rings came out in 54 54 uh, yeah, okay, so here's the three publications of the books. July 29th, 1954 is The Fellowship of the Ring. Then November 11th, 1954, just uh, four months later, The Two Towers comes out. And then 11 months later, in October of 1955, is The Return of the King. Okay. Yeah, I bet you that, I bet you World War II had a big impact on how he was continuing the story. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for I sure. Mean, there's a fucking war. <laughs> and it's you know it's very much about the different races it's very much about um the land it's very much about the power mm-hmm. um but uh, another harry potter idea that i had is about you know say sauron is voldemort mm-hmm. and he's essentially a almost like a mystical being at this point Right? Yeah. It's just, you know, he looks into the ring and he sees the eye. The eye is not necessarily there yet, right? But the the idea and the mythos around Sauron and like the the legacy of it is always there and it's 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 ingrained into the ring. Like his mm-hmm. a portion of his power is ingrained in the ring. We don't always we don't fully see the power of it, right? Cuz like I said, if you give it to the weakest person, you may not be able to see the full potential of what it is, what it can mm-hmm. do. Like, but if you gave it to Galandriel, she would have blown the fucking world up. Yeah. But, in, I like to think of it, and it's pretty cool to think about, like, Voldemort, when he was killed, or before he was killed, divided his soul up into the Horcruxes. And so there's a power, or there's a sense of his soul in each of those Horcruxes um, still living on, and that's essentially 
what kept his mythological being alive. Mm-hmm. Where yeah, I think I the ring, I think the ring really does hold the soul of Sauron, and essentially a portion of its power. Um, obviously, when they do finally destroy the ring, right, it mm-hmm. dissipates. But um, I think that it's it felt a lot like um, the necklace, right. Oh uh, yeah, in, the more, yeah the locket. Yeah, the locket in the in the seventh book, where, you know, Ron's wearing it for like a couple weeks straight, and it mm-hmm. turns out that he just is fucking he's a, he's pissed off like it's it's the, the locket is is ruining his attitude and, and turning him against his friends, mm-hmm. and obviously, you know, you can see Frodo starting to go that route. And um, I think it, it starts to corrupt his personality. It starts to corrupt his his you know his day to day life. Obviously, he isn't able to utilize the power, so maybe it's almost almost frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think think about it like a Horcrux. Like his soul is is divided up. It's put into that ring. It's it's power as well, and um, it's it's really at the end of the day pure evil because yeah, definitely. It's a it's a way for essentially almost to, to live live forever. Like if you can mm-hmm. if you can make something that makes a hobbit live to one hundred and ten years old. Um, think about what it could do for like a normal human or a, mm-hmm. a elf, or you know. Well, that that's another one of those things with kind of like the stories of both uh, Sauron and Voldemort. They're both thought to be dead, but it's like their soul and their being just kind of still lingers until it's eventually brought back again, stronger. Right. Exactly. So yeah, I feel like that's just probably a very common trope in just a lot of fantasy. Mm-hmm. I also but, yeah. like. Um, I think the character choice is, is really really good. Like I think people that played the characters, obviously Gandalf is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you never think about, you never really think about Viggo Mortensen as being. Like a like a great drama actor, but he really is like in this role. At mm-hmm. the time he's very quiet, but you know when he has to be, he, he's he's very outspoken. Um, I mean, you got Ned Stark. Yeah, I mean he he has like a psychotic break, you know. You One can does not see, simply go to Mordor. Yeah, you can almost see his he's like sickening as soon as he's trying to grab for the ring mm-hmm. uh, from Frodo in the woods, right? Yep. Um, the way that the characters are just are are described and defined and the backs the backstory for who's the elf in the wood elf the head wood elf that is played by agent smith oh um his name but he has a really good backstory and like yeah. it shows him fighting in the in, in the original war and oh, i forget his fucking name um i know the actor's name is hugo weaving uh Anyway. Yeah, I don't have it in my notes. Anyway, I, I think that, yeah, the casting choices are fantastic. Um, obviously, the cinematography, shooting on site in New Zealand, mm-hmm. you can't beat that. For me, I, I feel like the best casting, though, was with um, Saruman's character. Not so much for the character that he plays, but kind of just the role he had in developing these movies. Mm-hmm. Christopher Lee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, I mean, he, he literally wrote a letter saying, or to the director saying, hey, I should be in these movies. Mm-hmm. And then it's like every day after shooting wrapped up, they would both go over the script, make sure it actually lined up with the books, 
and they, they've made it. I mean, this is regarded as one of the most spot-on fantasy movie series that follow the books. Mm-hmm. And it's really all thanks to Christopher Lee. So I feel like them casting him not just for the role, but just kind of for the historical aspect to keep everything in order and correct. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's what really made the movie. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Um, I made a little bit of a Lord of the Rings Hall of Fame here. Cause okay. if we're gonna do the if we're gonna do the next two movies, we might as well start by kind of ranking things in this one, and then we can come back to it. Okay. As soon as we're done with the other two. Um. So from this one, starting with best heroic gesture. Mm. I th- I I think I'm, it's I'm really gonna... tough because everybody has their own courageous act. Well, I'm I think I mean I'm I'm probably gonna say maybe the most basic answer, but Frodo just being like, "I'll take the ring." Yeah. I feel like all right, kids got chutzpah, you know. Yeah, I think that's huge. Um, from a movie perspective, just from the just from the way that it seemed like almost like he was laying his life down on the line is when Strider or Aragorn, Aragorn. tells him to run and then fights the orcs off. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't really understand what's happening at the time, and all of a sudden he starts running, and then Aragorn turns around and there's five thousand fucking orcs in front of him like that. Mm-hmm. He, that's sure death. Um, I think that, and then. Obviously Gandalf, but he kind of knew he was going to survive that. You know what I mean? When he when he fights off the demon on the bridge. Yeah, so that's actually another really famous uh, difference between the book and the movie. Mm. So it's like, everyone knows, You shall not pass! And he, he breaks the bridge. That was a great, great interpretation. Yes, it was. For, uh, Impression. Impression. Wow, I'm blanking. Um, But yeah, so he says that, and then the bridge collapses. Mm -hmm. So actually in the books, um, there's kind of a scuffle in between it, and then um, Aragorn and... uh, uh, Well, Aragorn and someone else goes to, like, get him, and then that's when uh, Balrog actually comes out and is going to get them. And instead of shouting, you shall not pass, he goes, you cannot pass. Aha. Uh-huh. So kind of like, not not really telling him what to do, but like, hey, I'm, I'm stronger than you. You cannot pass. There's just no way you can. Yeah. May I go to the bathroom? I don't know. Can you? <laughs> I hated that. I don't know. May I? All right. Can I piss on your floor? <laughs> All right. I'm thinking I'm gonna go with yours. I like I like Frodo stepping up. I, I I just feel like that that I mean yeah obviously it doesn't have a lot of action in it but that's I I feel like probably the turning point. That's what sets the the adventure in motion. I agree. Okay. Um. Best best actor in this film. Like best best uh, performance. Mm. Keep in mind, Ian McKellen won the Oscar for it. Well, I mean, I, I feel like Gandalf is the uh, the kind of default answer. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously you gotta like Elijah Wood. Yep. 
he, he does a very good job. Um, Sean Aston is Samwise. Yep. I, I feel like he plays a very good just support role. Plus, he kind of has that pluckiness to just really kind of get into it. Yep. I mean, he's a very timid guy. First time outside of the Shire. I mean, when he's walking through the uh, the farm before he got to uh, Brandywine, or yeah, Brandywine, and Took. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Brandywine. Um, before they met up with those guys, it was like this is the farthest I've ever been away from Hobbiton, and it just kind of waits a moment. So it's like I feel like Sean Aston played a really good, timid, shy young person who's going on his first adventure. I would go with Sean Aston. I was gonna say the same, and I'm I'm sorry I made, I messed up. It's Ian McKellen got nominated. He did not win. Oh okay. Not well. Still, everyone knows Gandalf. Yeah. Even if you don't know Lord of the Rings, you know Gandalf. You shall not pass. Everyone knows that. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, you know Christopher Lee. I think he if he was in the movie for maybe five minutes more, I would have probably gone him. Um. But not quite. Not quite enough, I don't think. I think yeah, because yeah. I mean, he wasn't even supposed to be in the second one, but they just kind of put him in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you gotta keep him in as much as you can. It's fucking awesome. Also, I think that the way that obviously the way that Gandalf looks is probably kind of what they were going for with with uh, Dumbledore. Same, you don't say. same type of hat. <laughs> you don't say. Same beard, same everything. Um, Literally, almost the same face. Yeah. Like, it's kind of crazy how much uh, Richard Harris and uh, Ian McKellen looked in both of those roles. Yeah. Just how similar. Yeah. That's true. Um, best action scene. Um, I'll, so I'll I, give I you think, a couple nominations. So. Well, I was going to say, I feel like this movie would only have a couple. Yeah. Because this is kind of just like the, the stage setting. Yeah. From the time that... Okay. From the time that they're on... Uh, I would almost I want to divvy it up. I want to divvy it into five. So their trek until they get to the caves. So like okay. up on the mountain with the snow mm-hmm. coming down. Once they get to the cave, the tentacle monster from from the tentacle monster to the uh, the monster or the the fucking ogre. Mm-hmm. So that's two. Number three, uh, the whole scene where they're trying to get out of the caves, ending with them getting up to the top. Yeah. Um, obviously, the whole orc fight scene. Mm-hmm. And then from there, probably the, the fight between Gandalf and Saruman. So I would probably go with the fight. I would probably go all in the caves. From the time that they go tentacle monster mm-hmm. to... Um, when Frodo gets stabbed, mm-hmm. and he has a chainmail on. I, I was gonna say, um, Gandalf or Saruman. I I feel like that that's just a good fight to kind of show, like, hey, not everything's as it is. Things different. People change. Right. So you kind of gotta like be on your toes with everything in a time like that. Right. And it really shows how power can corrupt relationships and. Mm-hmm really shows a really good flip I feel yeah I could see that it almost felt like they were just kind of throwing each other around I would have I would have wanted more magical like uh, you know yeah. kind of like that one of those scenes in Rick and Morty like in, I think in season 2 
where he's fighting, Rick's fighting his uh, miniverse self, and um, he lets out a snake to attack him, and then the other guy lets out an eagle, and he picks out the snake and flies off. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I kind of wanted it to be like, you know, Gandalf creates a gator, and then (laughs) Saruman comes back with fucking gold um, bald eagle, and they fight it out, and like, it's almost kind of like, you know, like your Patronus charm fighting each other. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I kind of wanted that. So. so Pokemon, pretty much? Sure. <laughs> Fucking the legendaries on top of uh, Saruman's tower. Okay, so we'll do a tie between Wizard and Ogre. Because I feel like they met their match with the Ogre. You know what I mean? Like Oh, yeah, definitely. That dude was fucking OG. Mm-hmm. Super OP. Um, best CGI. This is tough because they're. I mean, for two thousand one, it's really impressive. But also, you can tell when they're fighting the ogre, it kind of felt like that. You know, yeah. You know, the first, first, um, you know, I mean, Harry Potter came out in two thousand one too. When they fight an ogre mm-hmm. in that, and it kind of feels the same. Like they use yeah. the same. All right, I, I definitely I got my answer for this. Go ahead. Um, in the beginning at Bobo's birthday when they're doing all the fireworks. Yes. The fireworks are solid. Now if we want to go back to another book difference, um, the part where Brandywine and Took steal the dragon firework. Um, so in the book, they didn't steal it. It was just let off normally. Mm-hmm. And it was supposed to symbolize um, Bilbo and his adventure to Smaug. Smog. Mm-hmm. I think it's Smaug. Um, his adventure with Smaug with the dragon going and to signify that dinner was ready. Okay. So it was kind of just like them getting a brandy wine and took to set it off just kind of showed them as the mischief makers of the movies. Almost like the comic relief. Right. But then they changed their names for the movie. So Pippin and Mary, right? No, that that's their first names. I, I just couldn't. Oh. It's... um. Uh, Pippin Brandywine and er, Mary, Mary Brandywine and Pippin Tuke. Okay, got it. I was gonna do um, and this is the heart. This is why I say it because like it's really hard to do, mm-hmm. according to, uh, corridor crew of visual effects artists react. Uh, water simulations, so like the scene where what the fuck's her name, Liv Tyler at the elf, is getting chased by the wraiths. Mm-hmm. She gets across the little stream, and um, and you think that the wraiths aren't going to cross it because the horses don't like water or they don't like oh, water yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. They start to come in, and then she calls out to the water, and the water comes rushing through. Oh, it's true. really well done. For two thousand one, water simulations are it's even hard to do water simulations today that are believable. So I'm mm-hmm. going for that because it really sweeps them up. Okay. So I like that one. I was impressed with that scene, and I watched it on my projector so oh it just it just felt good so nice i like it i'll do the tire fireworks and the water that's cinematography i i um you know i think when they're on top of the mountain walking is really fantastic when they're up on the rocks up there trying to trek when they're going through the river it's fantastic you know, the, I I honestly feel like river. for this one, I I can't really give a top. I just love all the sweeping landscapes, all the green, the mm-hmm. cliffs. 
I mean, any scene where they're actually on site, yeah. I love it. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'll, I would agree. It's really hard to do. I think that the river though is the way that they do the sweeping river. Yeah. There's also a scene. Um, about two minutes into fighting the orcs, they do like a flyover shot, and it's really good. Really, it's really okay. impressive. Um, so I would go probably that one. But yeah, that overall, that's fine. Yeah, wait till you get to the second and third one. I mean, it just gets more expansive. So obviously mm-hmm. you can see more. They go to different areas. They go to the, the twin towers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, not not the twin towers. Sorry, the two towers. <laughs> I'll make that clear. Uh, I'm not saying anything. <laughs> um, so yeah, we'll do just basically everything, but check out that sweeping shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice best costume. Uh, huh. I don't know. They were also nominated for best costume design. I could see that. Um, well, I, I feel like the dwarves—they always look good. Yep. They always look kind of short, stout, mangy looking. Lots of armor. Mm-hmm. The, the dwarves always look good. Um, again, obviously Gandalf, iconic. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like the best overall looking character, in my opinion, is Legolas. I was about to say the same thing. Maybe it's just because Orlando Bloom was sexy. He's he's a good looking dude. Yeah. And like, so I I have a thing where I really don't like that super super straight platinum hair that almost molds to the top of your head. Mm-hmm. Is it because you don't like the Targaryens? No, th- their hair has some volume. Okay. Like, I'm talking flat, just kind of lays there limp. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I don't know. He makes it look good. So I feel like he's, he's just the best overall, just or most visually appealing character. Yeah, um, I, I would agree. I would agree. I think the... the yeah, I think the elves look good. Um, nobody's really dressed to, like... To impress, I think the main elf, what the hell is his name? I keep forgetting. The same guy, Hugo Weaving. All right, I'm just going to find it right now. Oh, um. Elrond. Elrond. He's got some good get-ups. Yeah. yeah I, I like the uh, the way the look of the, uh, the whites. Mm-hmm. I feel like them and their just all-black outfits, the horses all blacked out. I feel like they look real slick. Real slick. All right. Um, this one's interesting. Best all time. This is just for any. You could do anything, like. But I think you know, mm-hmm. it's an iconic piece of this movie. Is the score, like the soundtrack. So, where would you rank this on like top fantasy soundtracks? Because like, it competes really well with Game of Thrones. Yeah. Um, and I, I, it's tough because I really like the Game of Thrones, the the ramen, the ramen juadi, that's killer. But then mm-hmm. again, I didn't like the finale, so it kind of ruins the whole fucking show for me. So I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go Lord of the Rings. <laughs> just, just to be different, I'll say Game of Thrones because it's oh. like 
obviously I didn't like the last season, but it didn't completely ruin it for me. Mm-hmm. I, I I still love just the entire Westeros history. Just yeah, I like the history. It just it just stinks to know that that's what the, they ended it with. You know? Yeah, I I feel like it's one of those ones though. It that was like my first real entrance into the fantasy world. Like yeah. the, I I watched the entire Lord of the Rings or wow no. Game of Thrones. I watched the entire Game of Thrones series in three weeks. Mm-hmm. It's killer. But, like, I watched it before I watched any of the Harry Potters, before I read those books. Mm-hmm. So it was like, this was the first real just entrance into a fantasy world. Yeah. So I feel like it, it's always going to hold a higher regard in my heart than most. But Harry Potter and uh, Harry Game Potter of Thrones, those, those are my top two. Yeah. I agree. I love their Harry Potter soundtrack. John Williams, baby. All the way. That, that soundtrack, man. It's got so many different things. It's so much different. So many different things like in it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, in the first three movies, well, four. Um, they're pretty. They're pretty similar. I think John Williams did the fourth one too. But I know in five, six, and seven, I think it was different. A different composer, but mm-hmm. you know, it it went into a darker turn in those seasons yeah. so it made sense as to why they would want to go that way because mm-hmm. John Williams is like always so upbeat because he does you know he did Indiana Jones he did E.T. he did Star Wars mm-hmm. he did Jaws well Jaws isn't upbeat but uh, but well, still Jaws is, is iconic it is when they kill the shark there's good there's fun music after that or when they're chasing after the shark there's like it's like happy music like anyway. I, I live, I live on the beach. Every year they play Jaws on the beach. What a fucking nightmare that is! <laughs> <laughs> Come on, kids, let's go to the showing at the beach. We're gonna go watch a movie. Yeah, mommy, I can't wait to lay in the sand and watch a movie with sharks <laughs> in the water. Yeah, uh, but yeah, we should definitely have uh, a Harry Potter series because, oh man, I I, I can get into Harry Potter. Oh yeah. Me too. And now after we've got into these, we can kind of compare them more about mm-hmm. what, what J.K. Rowling referenced and took from those. So. See, I feel like us doing Lord of the Rings first is a good kind of entry point mm-hmm. into reviewing fantasy series because how much of just is based off of this? Right, right. It was really the first book to come out and, and establish mm-hmm. such such myth- mythological and uh, mystical... Um, the battles for kings, the battles for race, for mm-hmm. ideologies, religions, magic. Well, one of the crazy things is this isn't like the first fantasy series to even come out. I mean, you got all the, what was the name, H.P. Lovegood? What's that? Or Lovelace or something like that. He's like the OG fantasy guy. Hmm. I do not know about him. That's where... Um, Speaking of the Game Talking of Thrones finale. Mm-hmm. Oh, is it time to bring it up? Listeners, if you would indulge us. Lovecraft. Uh-huh. HP Lovecraft. That's his name. Oh, wait. Lovecraft. I've heard of him. Uh, he created Cthulhu. Okay. Gotcha. Okay, but yeah, he's like, he's he's the father of fantasy. Yeah, he's old, old. Okay, but back, back to this... Uh, this Game of Thrones thing. Yes. Um, 
Yeah, let's let's do. You want to act it out a little bit? It won't take us too long. We're, we're over an hour right now. I mean, hey, we're here. Let's do it. Okay. All right. So I'll read it out until we get to a, a spot where we have some dialogue, and then we can alternate some dialogue here. For the listeners, I uh, started to rewrite the Game of Thrones finale. Um, as you as you can probably imagine, it's a lot of work because you don't you're not really given a lot of you're not you're not given a lot of places to start because you know how it did end, and it's you know where they where they ended in season seven going into season eight just kind of felt rushed so it's like you got to tie things up but do you have it open oh yeah okay Um, but in my finale there's 10 episodes at an hour and a half each so no problem you're gonna get everything in you're not gonna have to rush anything okay you can you can close up all the storylines you can have every character meet each other and interact in a way that everybody wanted to see all right so, if you're still with us, um, here's how it goes. So, alternate ending, and it's not not complete, but this is just an idea, a couple of ideas. Anything that was that's not mentioned stays the same. Small scene, small scenes such as Brienne becoming a knight, Arya and Gendry sex scene, yum. Brienne and Jamie sex scene, eh. Uh, they stay the same. Ten episodes, hour and a half each. Part one, episode one, Winterfell, daybreak, the head unsullied march through the wooden gates and into the warm embrace of Arya, Sansa, Bran, Brienne, Sam, Andy the Extra, Lady, oh yeah, into the Extra. <laughs> it was Andy the I Extra. I forgot about him. <laughs> there's, this, there's a guy in Game of Thrones that always is always in every fight. And uh, he's like famous for being the extra. Oh, uh, okay. So he's the he's in this now. Okay. Um, he has his own story, I think. I, I don't know. Lady Mormont, she is the young girl, right? Oh, Leanna Mormont, yeah. No, the the young girl. Um. Yeah, Leanna Mormont. Is her name Leanna? Yeah. Oh, okay. And the Umber she, children. Okay, she's honestly my favorite character. Yeah. She. Yeah. She's, her killing she's the giants. Yeah. Iconic. So essentially, everybody that's in Winterfell is a part of the of the the Stark um, stronghold in a way. Right, like they're they're the families that are behind them. Mm-hmm. Behind the army becomes John and Danny riding side by side, followed by Davos, best character, Tyrion, Varys, and the Dothraki Queen's Guard. They set up camp outside the walls with the remainder of the Unsullied, the Northern Armies, and the Wildlings. The camps are quite the spectacle as fires and tents cover thousands of yards beyond the walls. And that's thousands of uh, football stadiums for all you uh, people out there. The armies total over 10,000 men and women in preparation for the coming threat of over 150,000 undead and white walkers marching upon the wall. In the high tower, this is at the Night's Watch, Tormund, Dolores, Dolores Ed, Beric Dondarrion, and the remaining members of the Night's Watch keep a close eye on the Northern Trail. They were barely able to to get down from the wall alive as the Night King destroyed it with Viserion the episode before. So this is the season seven finale of where the where the undead dragon blew through the wall. Assuming that the last hearth was destroyed as well, the men expected to see the army approaching, marching upon Winterfell within less than three days. John suddenly rides ahead of Danny 
as he sees what's remaining of his friends and family. He jumps off the horse and runs to hug Arya as he had not seen her in over eight years. This is true. They had they haven't seen each other since the first season, right? Mm-hmm. I never thought I'd see you again. John whimpers to Arya. I see you have a needle. I always know you'd learn to master it. Arya grins with tears running down her face. You look like father now. <laughs> That's funny shit. John laughs and stands up to greet Sam and the rest of his family. Sam, with a nervous smile, says, Hey, we are together at the, for the end of the world. His smile fades as he remembers the gravity of the news about John. We need to speak in private when you've set it in. John nods and turns around to help Danny off her horse. The awkward, judgmental gazes from the Northmen cause Danny to peer around in nervousness. However, she knows that they are just astonished and tentative for now. Sansa opens her mouth to speak. Before she, but before she can, Rhaegal and Drogon fly over Winterfell and let out a large scree- loud screech, starting the entire crowd except for the, on- the incoming characters. A combination of fear and awe overtook the northerners, and many smiled as they stole around the castle. They landed in an open area near the weirwood tree, as this would be a fantastic shot to show. The snow-covered tree with red leaves contrasts the colors of the grandeur of their dragons, also physically and mystically combining the majestic aspects of both houses. Anyway, <laughs> I literally wrote that. I was thinking out loud. Ellipses. Sansa raises her arms and exclaims, Winterfell is yours, your grace. Welcome to the north. <laughs> Danny smiles and approaches Sansa. Thank you, Lady Sansa. She turns around and to address the crowd of northerners gathered in the courtyard. My walk. Go ahead. Oh, I got this one. Okay. Yeah. I know many of you are very skeptical of my arrival, my intentions, and of my name. I know you do not trust Southerners. I know you rightfully trust John as your king. I have come at the request of your king, the man that I love, to aid in the defense of the great castle and land. I am Daenerys Targaryen, last surviving member of the Targaryen name, and I have traveled hundreds of miles, freed thousands of slaves, and affected millions of lives for the better on my journey to the throne. I have vowed to break the wheel that is the Game of Thrones as I rightfully take my place upon it. I am a person of mercy and love. I am a person of devotion and passion. And I am the person who will take down Cersei's destructive power and punish her accordingly for her unruly treason to the noble citizens of Westeros. However, before I are able to achieve this, the great war must be won. My dragons will lead us into battle, and the long night shall be lit once again. (laughs) Good job. John grins, grabs Danny's hand, raises White Claw, is it White Claw? Is that the name of his sword? I totally forget. S- Strong Claw. Is it? No, Long Claw. Oh my god. <laughs> Fucking alcoholic. White Claw. He raises a White Claw and says, This shit'll be lit. Yeah. This shall be the fight of our. Oh, he doesn't sound like that. It's not Billy Kimber. <laughs> this shall be. Oh, I can't do it anymore. There should be a fight of our lives. The Northmen raise their swords and do the same. A few seconds later, Tormund and the Night's Watch do the same up in the high tower. And Jon smiles at them. And, oh, shit. Actually, they're they're in Winterfell. Sorry. I, they're not on the wall. They're at Winterfell in the high tower. 
Tormund and the Night's Watch do the same up in Hightower. John smiles at them in recognition. In the midst of the tremendous chant, Danny's fierce, gritty impression turns back to nervousness as she realizes the Northmen's reaction was majorly for John's single sentence. She catches Sansa's eye and sees her with a serious, almost distasteful look. Tyrion and Varys exchange glances at the interaction as well. Next scene. John knocks on the, ma- the maester quarters door. Come in, says Sam. Okay, quick uh, quick pause. Yes. If I was uh, in Game of Thrones and I was a w- maester, my name would be Maester Bader. <laughs> Continue. Maester Bader. Uh, oh, hello, jo- Maester Bader. Maester Bader, no home. John sits down on a wheelchair in the office that used to be Maester Lewin's. Sam was the official unofficial maester in Winterfell now, and the title suited him well. Before Sam could say anything, Bran rolls out from the shadows, looking very ominous. I got this one. John, there's a matter at hand that both your brother Bran and I have to... Oh, wait, no, that's Sam. Never mind. John, there's a matter at hand that both your brother Bran and I have discovered simultaneously. Sam said with a slow, deliberate tone. If you're gonna say that I j- oh fuck this is <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is this is John. If you're gonna say I shouldn't have brought Danny to Winterfell, Sansa and Arya, I've already spoke been in my ear about. Before he can finish, Bran speaks up. Do you want it or me? You got it. You got it. <laughs> Alright. No, John. <laughs> this is something else entirely. Bran says, "I am now the Three-Eyed Raven." I live in the past mostly, and I can relive events that have occurred. Recently, I have visited the death of our Aunt Liana. What I saw will change everything you've ever known about yourself and your heritage. Liana was not raped by Rhaegal Targaryen. They were in love and were secretly red. Sam continues Bran's explanation. They named her son Aegon. However, Lyanna was killed during childbirth. She entrusted you with Ned Stark and made him promise by the old gods and the new that he would never reveal your true identity and keep you as a bastard named Snoo. The reason I know this is I stole a few books from the Citadel Library and stumbled upon the truth of the secret wedding. John stiffens in his chair. His face turned white and he let out a deep sigh of despair and astonishment. He had not. He had been fornicating with his aunt. Yes, but he was also in love with her. Who says this? John, this this information would make you the rightful heir to the Iron Throne. Okay, we I don't know, know who said that. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I, I this is where I kind of just I I gave up on the dialogue and went into into uh, bullet points. Um, I like it though. So instead of the long night happening in the beginning, it'll happen in the end. The Northern Squad will create a master plan that will yield lower death rates to ensure a larger army for the Night King. Arya, Jamie, and the Hound will become game changers in killing Cersei, the Hound, and the, what the fuck am I talking about? Skip ahead. Night King continues to march south. However, the leaders of Winterfell decide to march on King's Landing after Jamie explains that Cersei is lying about sending her forces north. So that's true. Theon and crew ride to the Iron Islands to sail with Yara and the Iron Fleet from the northwest to fight Euron's fleet in Blackwater Bay. On the way to King's Landing, Yara and Theon go to recruit any of the Dornish people that to help in the fight. 
Leaders can make pact that the people of King's Landing need to be liberated, liberated from Cersei. Not one should be hurt or killed. Varys used his little birds <laughs> to spread rumors that the rifle king queen has returned to Westeros to help defend the nation from the White Walkers in the north. However, they are coming south immediately. Also spread the rumor, discrediting Cersei, blew up the church, yada yada. The northern ships also meet up with Yara as they sail southeast, to- southeast towards King's Landing. The northern army marches along the King's Road, led by Jorah, Brienne, Jamie, Gendry, the current call, which is actually pretty, that's a cool little, I like that, Grey Worm and Tormund, which is, this is a fucking team right here. And the heads of the northern, of the other northern houses, Umber, Mormont, and Karstark. John and Danny ride Rhaegal and Drogon, respectively, above the fleet. Along the way, per Gendry's instruction, they set numerous dragon glass traps. See, this is what they should have done. Glag and dras- glass traps. Glag and traps. Gla- <laughs> <laughs> Glag and grass. They Glag set numerous gra- dragon glass traps and especially focus on the twins as the the whites can't cross water easily. The Night King would just freeze water ideally. But the gla- the dragon glass traps would ideally stop a lot of them from getting around that. Um, Ed Martelli soon joins the forces as well as he re- realizes the dead will not easily cross the twins, but when they do, they'll be the first to die. Promises to aid in putting the traps up as well as John as join in the fight for overtaking Cersei. He has a small scuttle with Jamie over their past, but all is well. Remember when Jamie got captured by them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Sansa rides in back with, with Jan Royce and the Vale soldiers. Uh, she is strictly there for strategy and diplomacy, or maybe more. Dot dot dot. <laughs> Along the way, John and Sansa recruit every house willing to fight and muster up as many soldiers and fighters as they can. Arya and the Hound travel together off the King's Road and closer to the shore, as they have devised a plan that will give them both the revenge that they want. Um, is this the last page? Oh man. Cuts to Cersei making Euron think the babies is hers. Uh, Euron gets hard, says he'll defend her with his life, and that kid will grow up to be the strongest Navy man in the world. Seaman. <laughs> yeah, I should have done that. To, to which she rolls her eyes, leaves to meet up with the Captain Strickland of the Golden Company, who are carrying 500,000 paid cell swords and 50 attack elephants. Which, oh, they actually have the elephants. Yeah, yes, they do, which would be really cool to see. On the way south, Jamie and Tyrion ride closer to the front of the pack as they passed by the twins. They approach a similar face, carrying the crossbow Tyrion killed his father with, Bronn. He surrenders and joins the fight because he can see the winning side in any fight. Whatever side those dragons are on, I'm on. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. Which is exactly what he would have done, not become the master of coin. Fuck you, mm-hmm. D&D. Golden Company and Lannister soldiers plus the Bannermen set up camp outside the city walls covering the King's Road subsequent entryways from the north or west. Euron and the Iron Fleet guard the bay. Total of 200 scorpions built covering the walls of the city to kill the fucking dragons. Anyway, Arya and the Hound devise a plan to get revenge, both revenge that they seek. Arya takes the face of Lannister's soldier, see, this is what they should have done again, and chain up the Hound and explain that he was trying to enter the city. So he walk in with him as, an, as a prisoner. The Hound is a treasonous bastard for leaving his king on the night of the Battle of Blackwater, because that was the night that. They did. The, they used the um, 
the wildfire. The wildfire, and then mm-hmm. he left Joffrey. Cersei Fuck will the king. Yeah. Cersei will sentence him to die at the hands of his brother, the mountain. Arya will begin to walk the hound closer to the mountain. As the mountain reaches out to grab the hound, he rips his loosely latched, and that's where it ends, I think. Fuck. The suspense is killing me. Oh, gosh. Why didn't I finish this? Anyway, what I was going to do was um, Arya begin. So as Arya gets close, they, they realize that the, the hound's um, chains are basically unbroken. They, he fights the mountain, and Arya goes to kill Cersei. However, who steps in to save her? Jamie. Jamie. So Jamie, with his one arm, steps in to save Cersei. As much as she's fucked him over, he still loves her, right? Oh man, he could have stumped me. Yeah, well, but guess there's the kicker. Who comes to protect Arya from those two? Um, Brienne of Tarth. True. So in the in the throne room, there's the mountain and the hound fighting. Arya is trying to kill Cersei, fighting Jamie. The doors open. Here comes Brienne. I have to protect her. She's she is of my protection. She has to fight. So Jamie knocks Arya down. Like she's like hurt somehow. Like. I'm I'm thinking maybe she just got like a slash to the, slash to the leg or a torn ACL or something crazy. <laughs> a slash to the leg or a torn ACL, something crazy. <laughs> Two and, completely different things. But yeah. Well, no. Think about it. Like maybe she sliced. He gets her. She gets her ACL sliced. Anyway. Okay. Brienne says, you know, in that in her mind, I love Jamie, but I have to protect Arya. She's I have to protect her. So, she gets the upper hand on Jamie. Obviously, it doesn't take very long. And she has to make a decision. You know, does she... Does she kill Jamie and her love? Or does she protect... Uh, you know, does she... Does she protect him because she loves him? Or does she kill him because she loves him? And it's like a, it's a Shakespearean tragedy, right? Okay. In the Here. meantime, Cersei... Can you hold your thought real quick? Yes, go ahead. What about this? So, they're fighting, but Brienne's refusing to fight Jamie. She's only doing, like, defensive work because he's just trying to slash at her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's just filled with emotional rage. Yes. While he's slicing D- Dyson, trying to get to uh, Brienne, Brienne hits him with, You're going to kill me and your baby? Oh, fuck. Well, that's good. And then drama ensues, and then Cersei's like, the fuck she just say? Oh, I like this. I like this. Make it like a Jerry Springer moment. Yes. Yes, that's fantastic. And then what Cersei could do is get up and try and kill Brienne, right? To to kill her. She should just be like, I'm pregnant too. Right. And then Jamie, it just does a zoom in on his face. He does the gym office face. And then it just cuts the credits. That'd be great. And that's how it ends. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I was, what I was going to do is uh, Cersei takes Arya's sword as she's knocked down and goes after Brienne. And you're right. 
Jamie has to make a decision. He has to make a decision between his sister and his and his new baby mama or or his true love. Mm-hmm. And uh, he goes after Cersei. He kills Cersei. Oh, okay. And uh, it's a tragedy. Like, so it's a tragedy. It's a double tragedy because Brienne doesn't want to kill her true love, but Jamie does not want to kill her true love sister. So who's he protect? Technically, his baby mama or, or true love at this point. And the man and the hound and the man in the mountain are doing their thing. They they have essentially the same fight. Because mm-hmm. why not? And, but think about it. Like it, it makes so much sense to have. Every, so they're going down the King's Road, recruiting everybody, telling them literally, if you stay here, you'll die. So the best place to come is with us, as far south. We can get into the castle, and from there we can set up a final attack. We can set up a final stand at the castle or at in within King's within the King's um, King's Landing. And so what they have is essentially two dragons, a lot of scorpions. They have they're surrounded by water on the back. They could be surrounded by water on the front if they wanted to. They could build them build a moat. Mm-hmm. Right, they have the walls. They have the numbers. They have, you know what I mean. They've taken all the people from the north to the south, so there's no additional people that could be added to the Night King's army. You have two dr- healthy dragons in the daytime that can fight the Night King's dragon, and you have all the elephants. <laughs> I mean, it just makes so much sense to have to make your final stand there rather than the other way around. It just yeah. doesn't make any sense. So, so th- this was kind of the idea that I had for the ending that I would want. So, like, they actually do end up convincing Cersei to send troops north, but Cersei wants to spite him, so she sends him like two weeks late. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the same shit still goes down. Someone else can kill the Night King. I don't care. Could be Arya too. Doesn't really matter. Um, but the entire royal army starts marching up and like they've had time to kind of like spread the word like hey we won but like they didn't come they start seeing them coming so it's like as they slowly start moving out they slowly start forming a circle until their entire army's circled mm-hmm. and then they just get picked off by the dragons with fire oh man and then someone still ends up killing Daenerys <sighs> All so, right. Yeah, I, we, I, see, I, we got to do, do an entire that, Game of Thrones series yeah, too. Well, we we let's do a let's do a Game of Thrones finale brainstorming session. See, because there's in the books, there's another Targaryen, young Griff. He's supposed to be um, who? Yeah. So, <laughs> um, you know how when. King's Landing was overthrown by the Lannisters and then the Hound killed the babies. Mm-hmm. So the male baby, Aegon, they say that he was switched right before King's Landing was sacked and sent over to Pentos. Oh, interesting. And then he was like raised in the uh, the Second Sons, um, raised as a beggar, but like he's secretly a Targaryen. Intriguing. And a lot more... Uh, palatable and more popular honestly than Daenerys so maybe they do that that'd be great that that's something I could work on working on the young Griff angle okay 
Okay. But, yeah, we, we got series to start. That sounds good. So, yeah. I think that's probably a good time to end it. Yeah. Almost an hour and a half. <laughs> good for us. Killing it. Yeah, man. And, hey, we hope you guys like it. Just us rambling on about shit. Yes, yes. What kind of episode do you want to do next week? I wouldn't mind going and doing a little Rick and Morty or uh, something along those lines. Or uh, what do you think? We, we, we could do Rick and Morty. We can just have like a shoot the shit Rick and Morty episode. Yeah, I mean, we could we could just break down like we could break down three episodes and like or because they're each like twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. So like we would have enough material to break down. Well, plus also, too, Rick and Morty is going to send us on so many tangents. Yes. So, yeah, let's do Rick and Morty next week. Okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll discuss offline what, which ones we want to do. Yes, sir. But we're, we're pretty sure that the the tens and tens of you that are listening to these probably Rick and Morty fans, so. Yes. Definitely so. listen on because we'll, we'll have some good takes and uh, some pretty good Rick impersonations. Okay, Morty. Let's, let's end this thing. There we go. <laughs> Better next time. I put you on the spot. It's okay. Bye, folks. See you guys later.